0: En hartelike goeiemorgen, daar welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en pasal om 105 sê, die woord is een lamp van my voete en een licht van my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat om die waarheid te vind en licht te schijnen op die vraag uit die skrifte waarmee ek en jy mond kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom ondersoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. En nou my door die oorloosie aangeskyf Nou, wat is het? 7 minuut oor 11 Hartelike goeiemorgen, good morning Abosheni, Molweni, Domi Lang, San Bonani En wat een groot voorig Om sam met jou te kan keir Tot die meter 12 uur vir dag you can the from Pastor Rocky Stevenson, and uh, what a privilege it is. Good morning, my brother. Welcome uh, to the Radio Pulpit Studios again. How are you keeping?
1: Good morning. Very well. Thank you, venance It's good to be here.
0: Wonderful to have you, and uh, Pastor Benoni Bible Church, the uh, head of the spear, the point of the spear, so to speak. If you've got a, a question from God's Word, this is the program question and answer program Q&A where you can find with us we together search the scriptures Mm. and uh, find out what does the Lord say the oracles of the Omniscient God that we serve. What does he say with regards to the struggles that we have? Lifestyle questions, whatever questions you've got from God's word, and you can take part in the program by sending us a WhatsApp. 0826572729. 657 2729 Je ken die nummer? Was geen mal voor baie jare vir jou. Misschien het jou nog nooit gestoor op jou voornie. Doen so voorochtend. 082-Woodekom-netwerk. Dan 6572. 729 So eenvoudig soos dit en mag ek vir jou vrouw om die skrifgedeelte dan net soot, van die uh, stik in die woorde waarmee jy There you have it, you've got the number and uh, thank you so much. We have prayed for you this morning as you just listen to this program, we are asking you kindly to keep us in your prayers, that it not be flesh but spirit that answers uh, those who post questions this morning. Diep uh, afhankelijk van die leiding van die Heilige Geest, so as jy net luister volgend, mag ek jou vir hom te bid vir ons hier in die atelier, en dan specifiek ook vir Rocky, dat die here vir hom door sy Geest woord gee, word, 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 it's all about word, and so the word of God also says Acts 17.11, once you've listened to a program like this, you have a responsibility to go and search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Enough said about that. We're going to give the number throughout the program. Don't worry. And then, of course, we're on Facebook right now. You want to meet the Honorable Rocky Stevenson. We're on Facebook and on the YouTube channel as we speak. You can pop in there, listen there, or just put it in the background and, uh, well, share with us in the program. Rocky, let's start with a question from from Vili that says what happens to babies and children in the rapture and what happens to people who are incapable of fully understanding the gospel perhaps due to a a uh, disorder Down syndrome, brain damage whatever the case might be the Lord knows what happens to those people during the rapture what do we answer Vili do we find an answer in scripture for that
1: yes and um yeah, this is a bit of a follow-up off of a question we had last week, and just to give a bit of the context, the question was about the, you know, is it biblical for parents to, to for Christian parents to not have children today because the rapture is near and so this has become a bit of a follow-up of that question, and so it helps you to understand some of the thinking of the listener as well, if, as they thinking, well, it's so wicked at the moment. Uh, should we actually even have children? And what happens if the rapture happens? Will our children then be left behind? Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly give us details regarding what will happen with children in the context of the rapture. However, we do have other passages in the Bible that we can draw from and we can find assurance in the character of God. He is just and he is merciful. And in his judgments, he is absolutely righteous and so psalm one hundred and nineteen verse hundred and thirty seven is a passage that comes to mind regarding that he is just he is in his judgments he is absolutely righteous he is merciful, so we can trust in god 's sovereignty. We believe that we uh, that that he will handle the situation with regard to children in the most wonderful way, in his perfect justice and his righteousness. My personal belief on this would be that he would take the children with regarding the rapture because to such ones belongs the kingdom of heaven. But there is the parental responsibility as well. See, parents play such a crucial role in nurturing their children spiritually. And so the ultimate decision for salvation lies with each individual. But salvation is a personal relationship with Christ our Lord. And children, like adults, are able to respond to God in their own way. But when it comes to babies and even young children, the Bible gives us a lot of comfort in this regard. The fate of babies and even young children, if they die before reaching what has often been termed the age of accountability. Now, you might have a difficulty with that terminology The age of accountability, but it's it's wording that is used in the sense that there's a time that comes in the life of any individual where they actually know that right is right and wrong is wrong, and God knows that time for an individual where they can actually reason with a capability that goes, hold on a minute, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, and I need to look to God as the one that will give me that savior. And a passage that really brings a lot of comfort regarding little ones that die or those that actually don't have the mental capacity to to really comprehend something like the gospel is 2 Samuel 12 verse 23, where David expresses confidence in seeing his deceased child again. And that we have from Bathsheba, the child that they have, the firstborn from Bathsheba. You remember that the secondborn was actually King Solomon, but the firstborn, died as a result of David's sin with Bathsheba and he is he goes into mourning when God had told him through Nathan that his child would die and his servants become so scared to even speak to David about this reality that and and in the end, once the child has died, David gets up, he washes himself, he goes and eats. And the servants ask him, they're like, they're bewildered. How can it be that you were mourning before the child died, but now after the child's dead, what's going on? And then in 2 Samuel twelve twenty three, 23, David says, I'm going to go to him. I'll see him one day. And in Matthew 19, verse 14, Jesus actually affirms, he says, that to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, to little children. I believe that heaven is going to be more populated than hell As a result of the fact that all babies that die within the womb, all those that are murdered in the womb, our Lord God takes them to himself. Um, And so heaven is going to be populated with little ones. And we're even encouraged saying you must become like one of these. So what should we say about somebody that has a cognitive condition where they are childlike? Well, the, the scriptures tell us that we must become like children if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. So somebody that has that cognitive type of a disability, if they're born, let's say, with a, a, a bad form of Down syndrome, they're unable to really comprehend the gospel, uh, verses like Matthew 18 verse 3 then become such a wonderful passage because we need to be people that humble ourselves to the point of having a trusting heart like a child in trusting the Lord Jesus. And judgment takes into account the individual capacity for comprehension and for response, and that we can rest in the good nature of our great God in regarding this so So, I do want to encourage the listener and there may be other listeners as well that are wondering about this they 've got family members um, who who possibly have uh, cognitive difficulties and they don 't have the ability to really comprehend. We can have hope and we can have comfort in the fact that God keeps His promises, and and God is the one who who is over all of these things. We don't need to fear, but what we do need to do is keep on being faithful to the Lord. Like we said last week regarding the first question that we had from Willie on uh, from Willie on this, is that we are to keep on trusting the Lord, and His Word has taught us what we are to do as godly parents, and His. He's, he's got our children underneath his hands. We don't need to be worried about that.
0: Serving a fair and a just God, not to worry about that. And it comes back to Romans 1.20 as well. The Bible says uh, God's power is revealed in nature. Even those, uh, I, I've once had a guy that said to me, what about those in the jungles of Borneo and in the Amazon that has never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? Even they have got a sense of right and wrong, honor, respect to parents and that kind of thing that comes only from God and uh, the Bible says God is revealed in nature nothing that you have to worry that's the beauty about the scripture there's an answer for everything in God's word the second question I want to put on the table for discussion why did God put the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil why did the Lord put it in the Garden of Eden? Levi, thank you so much for that question. Uh, what do we answer? I, I think it's not just Levi. Many people thinking about that. How do we answer it? Why would the Lord do that? Full, I mean, God knows everything. He knew. He knew that uh, that Eve is going to eat from from that tree. Why would he put the tree there?
1: Yeah, yeah. So in the Garden of Eden, there's those two special trees We have obviously all the other kind of fruit trees as well. And uh, all trees that were good for food, and I mean, that must have been such an amazing place to to be in a garden planted by the Lord, and the first job that man has is to be a gardener, so that's why man enjoys mowing the lawn right yeah. is because of the <laughs> the fact that we uh, that was our first job, and so God planted the tree of life as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this the tree of knowledge of good and evil really symbolized the moral choices of the the gift of free will, as well as the tree of life, actually. So both of them symbolize that moral choices of the gift of the free will. And in, in Genesis 2 verse 9, it tells us that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, representing the source of eternal life and communion with God. And so the man was not prohibited from eating from the tree of life. He was meant to eat of the tree of life. He was meant to choose life and not choose death. And God had told man that the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will surely die. And so the one tree is really juxtapositioned against the other tree. You have the tree of life, and you have the tree of death. What is man going to choose? Choose this day, which, are you going to serve me, or are you going to serve yourself? And the prohibition against eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil really tested Humanity's obedience and trust in God would Adam and Eve trust and obey God, and it emphasized the importance of that voluntary love and obedience, illustrating the meaningful that meaningful love exists when individuals have the freedom to choose otherwise. What would man choose? Would he choose life or would he choose death, and then the consequences of sin, as outlined in genesis three verse twenty two led to God expelling Adam and Eve from the garden preventing them from eating from the tree of life because of the choice that they made in choosing from the tree that would lead to death they now prohibited from eating from the tree of life and this was an act also of mercy from God's part and why do I say it's an act of mercy that God put them out of the garden away from the tree of life well it was because that he would then ensure that they wouldn't live forever in their fallen state separated from God God had made a plan and he gave what we call the pre evangelion to Eve, where he said, From your seed will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. There was a plan that God put into place where man could by faith be made right with God, no longer by the flesh or by the arm of the flesh, but by by God's mercy. So the tree of life in the garden we see that in Genesis two three. We see the consequences of, of sin in Genesis three twenty. But then also we see how this is mercy from God in withholding the tree of life from man in Romans 7 verse 24 to 25, where Paul himself says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Paul there also shows how he groans with all of creation for the day of redemption. Our Lord Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, life again given to man inside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even Romans 8, verse 23, where all of creation groans for this anticipation. But if we think about the purpose even again of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, this symbolizes the eternal life and the communion that there was to be with God. When you walk right with me, you can eat of the tree of life. So the tree of life was the symbol of God's intention for humanity to experience eternal life as well as unbroken communion with him. They were to walk with God as God walked with them. And its presence in the garden even highlighted God's desire for this everlasting relationship with his creation. But then we also see with both trees this test of obedience and trust Mankind, of course, failed this test and chose to sin. But then there's the offer of divine blessing as well that's given. But if we think about some of the significance of the tree of life, is that one day, even in the millennial reign of Christ, the tree of life is there. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not there in the end. And then we see this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, verse 2, we find the tree of life once more. And that shows that through what Jesus has done since Genesis 3 until, let's say, Revelation 22, verse 1, our Lord Jesus has made it possible again for mankind to eat of the tree of life. And so that redemptive history plays out. And so one of the purposes of the tree of life is to show us the, the, the journey back through Jesus to eating once more of that tree, that we can, through what Jesus has done for us, enjoy this, and we will reign with Christ for that millennial reign of Jesus, where he is on this earth in Jerusalem, we will be able to eat of that tree, and the nations of the world will actually find restoration through him. We see this there in Revelation uh, 22, verse 2. They will be able to, with the Feast of Booths, once a year, I believe, even eat from from that tree and so it's a marvelous concept as you think about how Jesus restores us even from the curse that we have received from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but there's also that connection then for that millennial reign so the tree of life in the presence of the new Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Jesus signifies this this re- renewed opportunity for mankind to partake in this divine blessing of eternal life and that also aligns then with Uh, This extended lifespan that we see in Isaiah 65 verse 20 and Revelation 20 verse 4. It would seem that during the millennial reign of Christ, man again is able to live up till almost a thousand years like what we had before the flood period. And so we get back to that type of a, a time again. And there's also the fulfillment of God's plan when we've got now again the ability to eat from the tree of life. So we'll head back again. To the tree of life, and we've been experiencing so much of the death from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there will be a time again where God renews, and where we are able to enjoy of the tree of life.
0: Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much for that one. You want to send us a uh, a question? Post your question. You can do so via WhatsApp oh eight two. Have you got that number oh eight two six five seven? Two seven two nine. You want to watch the program, you're welcome to go to Radio Pulpit's YouTube channel. We're also on there and live on Facebook, streaming at the moment until 12 o'clock this afternoon. Right, the next one comes from Dini, a very interesting one. Rocky, we had a discussion prior to coming into the studio last night in Midrand. I've showed you some of the videos there. A hailstorm of notes. Some people says the worst that they've ever seen in midrand. Job thirty eight twenty-two. You have entered the storehouses of snow and of hail, which God is storing up for the day of wrath. Now this Email this, uh, whatsapp up, brother, Avadini says, en ik lees hem in Afrikaans uit, en het gesê, Hallo mama, die haalstorm het letterlik stil gestaan oor ons grond. Ons kan nie meer nie, ons is moeg, ons is moedeloos. My arme man sy skouers hang, ek verstaan nie, hy werk so hard, hy is een mooi kind van die here. Hoe kom, vraagteken, 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 die haal was gestrand oor betal, hulle boer met gewasse en beeste. Wat antwoord ek haar? Rocky, we've done the mm. translation there.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is sad, man. Really, really. What sad. What do we answer somebody? And like um, that? first, first of all, to say really that we would be so sorry for these dear ones that go through this. One thing we need to realize is that we are not deserving of any good as human beings. And I know that that sounds harsh, but the reality is is that if we got what we deserved because of our sin. Then every single one of us would be in hellfire already. Now that doesn't isn't so much of a comfort, but the reality is anything short of that is much grace from God. We also have the rain that God gives that falls on the wicked and on the godly, and so with rain falling on the wicked and the godly, God is calling on the wicked to come and become godly. But the sad reality is is that even those that are children of God will go through the same trials that those that are not children of God will go through. As did Job. As did Job. And so we go through the same difficulties that the world goes through, if not even more difficulties. And why I say that is because once you are born again, you now have very vehement enemies. You have the enemy of Satan, the enemy of the world, and the enemy of your flesh. Once before you were children of Satan, who is seen as the God of this world, in the sense of small g god he is he's, he's got a dominion that he has been given now, of course we've touched on this before in scripture that that the devil is god 's devil he's not allowed to do anything that God has not allowed him to do, and we wouldn't attribute now even a hailstorm to Satan as such. But God has allowed that hailstorm to fall on your children just as much as he did on the farmers next door that might not be children of God.
0: But he did in Job. I mean, Satan. It, exactly. Satan had control over And that's the- an
1: excellent um, an excellent reference to yeah. Job, because, and in particular Job 1, verse 21, where Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This becomes the attitude of the Christian. God is the one that gave me the cattle that I've been farming with. God is the one that gave me the crop that was growing. And God has decided in a season like this to take it away. Blessed be his name. I will not forsake the God that I serve. And, of course, there's a tiredness that has set upon your children as they've now had to look after their animals and there's been a running around There's a season that they've been put through of great trial and the encouragement that you ought to give to them is keep looking to the Lord. He is absolutely sovereign. Acknowledge the reality even of their suffering and so you cry with them. The Bible says weep with those that weep and and mourn with those that mourn and rejoice with those that rejoice. We don't not acknowledge the suffering. The suffering is real. The suffering is hard. Job went through this, a righteous man, and he faced this immense trial and these losses, and yet he still did not turn away from the Lord. And so we encourage these dear brothers and sisters that have suffered through this is to suffer well and to suffer to the glory of the Lord and to suffer in a way that gives glory to the Lord God. And also we have the confidence based on God's word that he will look after his children I've been young, I've been old, I've never seen his children begging for bread. I believe that's Psalm 38. We know that God looks after his children. He gives them their daily bread. And he looks after his children. So often we have so much more than what we necessarily need. What we also have is um, the testimony of somebody like the Apostle Paul. I believe it's Ephesians or uh, Philippians chapter 4, where he learned the secret of contentment. And that's something that Paul had to learn. Yeah. That's also something that we have to learn. We've got to realize that, yes, the crop is now being destroyed. But next season, we're going to plant still. We're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to keep on looking at him.
0: Rocky, make it real for me. This this farmer, what is the next step? Do you go into your inner room, shut the door, and, and, and bring worship and honor and glory to God? What is the next step? How do we do it? This is the advice we give on radio now. Hmm. Uh, so me, I, I'm just looking at people in Midrand last night, cars that was destroyed, houses, uh, yes. wind, b- b- literally buildings that was destroyed with Israel. Uh, The wrath of God, Um, what do we do next? There's a dying Mm. world watching us, listening to us. What would be the grassroots level advice?
1: Yeah, I I think that we once again are drawn back to a passage like uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, which is a, a favorite. We've used it many times on radio. It says there, trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make part your path straight. Yeah. And the encouragement would be just do the next best thing, is put your foot forward and do the next best thing. You've got a windshield that needs to be replaced? Fill out the forms to get the windshield replaced. Do the next best thing, faithfully trusting in the Lord. Maybe you can't afford to put that windshield in. Well, then you keep on trusting in the Lord, and you trust in God's word to help you to to build you up and recognize that your daily provision does not come from whether the fig tree is blossoming or not. It comes from the sovereign Lord who looks after you that was able to bring water from the rock and give manna to his people that lived in the wilderness. We, are, we, we do not live by bread alone, but we live by the every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we must tell ourselves truth from God's word and then realize that God in his mercy has allowed us to be a part of his plan with the world that is around us. And I, and I, I saw something from Amir Safati, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he made this comment, which I thought was so true. He said, if you want to see the miracles of God, start telling people about Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. you, know, you think to yourself, like, we've got a grand purpose. And sometimes the Lord reminds us of that purpose. Mm-hmm. It may be that in his mercy, he's showing you, through the taking away, I mean, you showed me a, a a video of somebody's, I think it was Ferrari, that was that was, Ferrari. that was ruined by this hail. And it may be that the Lord, as well in His mercy, is showing us that that our our security is not in material things. Yeah, it's not in the cars that we drive or in the houses that we are in. Are we right with the Lord Jesus? And I do think that we're in an age where we have so much opulence. We have so much. And we've forgotten about the God of the and stuff. And we're spiritually that we have. all dried up. And we are dried up. You know, I mean, long ago, long ago, our spiritual life was re- wrecked so much by the hail of our love of money and our love of stuff and the love of things. And we've put so much security into the things of this earth. We should be, as a people, as a body of believers, a people that are able to say, All I need is Jesus. Give me Jesus, I've, I, and I've got everything. And, and I think that's the encouragement that we should draw from this, is that at a time like this, are we trusting in the Lord with all of our heart, even when our stuff gets taken away? Are we able to say like Job, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave this world, blessed be the name of the Lord. And God in his mercy gave back to Job afterwards. There are seasons that we go through that are really difficult seasons. You know, I think of something like um, just just even asking and begging the Lord, please comfort me. Please would you restore me? You know, Psalm thirty four verse eighteen says the Lord is near to the broken hearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And so even for this listener who sent this in, is to encourage your children through something like Psalm thirty four verse eighteen to look to the Lord at a time like this. He has in his mercy decided to take you through what he is taking you through. And this is something that we get also from the Heidelberg Catechism that's interesting. I mean, there's a little uh, children's song that we were playing this morning to our children, and I'm reminded of that now, is that there we belong to the Lord in body and in soul. If we belong to the Lord, then he has the right to do with us what he wishes. And it's not just us that belong to him in body and soul, but even the stuff which we have. Yeah. Our farms belong to the Lord. Our cattle belong to the Lord. Our crop belongs to the Lord. The Our tractors shirt belong on to the back. Lord. The yeah. very shirt on my back. So if the Lord yeah. has decided to ravage it with hail then i need to bless the name of the lord even in that and i need to see what the lord is busy teaching me through that and i need to be okay with him being god and me being under this god but there's also the promise that god gives regarding uh, restoration and a passage like um like joel Uh, Comes to mind, and this is prophetic, uh, Joel 2, verse 25, which says, Then I will pay back to you in full for the years that the swarming locust has consumed the creeping locust, the stinging locust, and the gnawing locust, my great military force which I sent among you. And now, there, God is speaking to Israel about the way in which He destroyed much of their crop as a result of their idol worship. But God is the one that also brings about restoration. Yes. And this world that we in is very temporal. The stuff that we have here is it, it is all going to fade. And it's a good reminder for us when we have something like a hailstorm like this yeah. that that actually we can't rest in the stuff that we have. Yeah. We've got a plan, of course, and we've got to be wise. And I yeah. do think that the Christian, out of all people, ought to be the wisest, even in a in a nation like ours. And I've said this recently from the pulpit. Um, I said to our people. Um, our government has turned against Israel, yeah. and therefore the curse of God will be upon this government because God has not taken and, away.
0: And on the land for, for and how we treated it. You
1: know, because of the, the ways that we've blood. treated it, the ways that we have looked – and. And so God is at the moment against South Africa as a whole. You know, not against the Christian. Yeah. Um, the Christian is a redeemed individual, and he looks after his people even in the midst of the judgment. In that sense, there is a restraining element that there is from God regarding that judgment because the church exists within within the let's say the the confines of South Africa. But I just said to our people, we need to be a wise people. We need to be a people that start thinking about things like. Um, our energy source or our water s- sources or the ways in which we look after our families and yeah. arming ourselves if we need to arm ourselves god did not promise us to have a, a times of peace yeah. in this world he actually promised that his word and he, he himself would bring a sword yeah and so we as the church need to stand up and i think there's another encouragement as well is is to to encourage your children to look outwardly as well Even in a time like this, of course, there's going to be some time that they have to resettle their farm, resettle their crop, resettle their animals. But how can they be a blessing even to the farmers that are around them, even in a time like this that is so devastating? For the Christian, we look outwardly and we see how can we be a blessing to others that are around us. So there's an encouragement to the church um, as whole. You know, there may be some that are listening from the Midrand area or there may be some that are listening from this, where was it, Belfast area? Uh, Bethel. Bethel, from the Bethel area. Uh, Seek to be a blessing to other Christians. It may be that the Lord has spared your crop and he's spared your cattle. It may be that you're able to give some cattle or give some crop to those believers that are in need in places like this, that maybe need to start repopulating their crop.
0: Not just the hail storm. I'm looking at Hebrews ten thirty four as we speak, and it says, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and a lasting possessions. Uh, the Word of God reminding us, and I know in the face of these calamities and, and, and what's happening in our country, this is hard. It is hard. It's not what you want to hear on this day, but it is hard. Take knowledge that God is not forsaking you. I know I uh, recently spoken to somebody who has uh, lost his job, unemployed, 26% of people unemployed in this country. The hardship is unimaginable. And so put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says John sixteen thirty three, he says, This I say to you that in me you can have peace. Mm. Just think on that. This I say to you that in me you can have peace. The Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking. And then he says, in this world you will have many trials, many tribulations. You will face hardship, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.
1: Yeah, that is such an excellent cross-reference.
0: It is a beautiful scripture. And yeah. I trust that it will mean something to you. We endeavor not to, to share... Um, Fleshly opinions here, but God's word, God's opinion mm. about the situation this morning. Right, uh, had a beautiful, beautiful uh, WhatsApp from somebody that said, <inaudible> and she says, I'm, I'm making reference to Revelation 21 and verse 4. It says, In heaven there will be no sorrow or cries or sorrow or pain. Does this mean that those who go up to heaven then will forget about their families, will forget their friends, including children and parents who did not make it to heaven? Will all feelings then fall away in heaven? Hmm. Does the Bible answer us, uh, Rocky?
1: Yeah, let me read um, Revelation twenty-one four. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. Now, nowhere in that does it say that all feeling is taken away or all memory is taken away, but we do see that there's no longer crying, there's no longer pain, there's no longer mourning. The first things have passed away. And then in verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true then he said to to me the they are done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end i will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost he who overcomes will inherit these things and i will be his god and he will be my son now that's a marvelous promise that he will wipe away every tear. And this this verse really is a part of a description of the new heaven and the new earth. And it highlights the completion of the restoration as well as the renewal that God will bring about for those that are in him. Later on it actually speaks about those that are not In him, because it says in verse 8, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, one of the things I would say based on this question is that there will be indeed some family members, maybe children or parents or others, that are part of that list in verse 8 that actually their inheritance will be in the lake of fire. But you, dear one, will stand with God, and you will understand just how and the gravity of what sin is and the offense that sin has against God. And so therefore you will stand on God's side, and you will see things clearly. You will understand things clearly. So that so much so that you will say God is absolutely just And absolutely righteous in doing what he has done in casting that individual to hell. We each have an individual responsibility when it comes to honoring the Lord. Now nowhere there in Revelation 21 verse 4 or even in the broader context biblically does it suggest that we will forget friends. Or forget family. I'm
0: thinking about the rich man, uh, yes. Lazarus, uh, yes. that was anxious that's, about that's his brothers. That's a good
1: cross-reference as well, because yeah. there he was able to say, you know, he suddenly became a missionary. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> in we, the midst of hell. We have him in the hell saying, please, will you send Lazarus to my brothers to yeah. tell them about this place? I don't want them to come here. And how sad is that, that some people only become a missionary when they're in hell? Um, you know that's, that's a terrible thought. Yeah. But, but nowhere do we see us forgetting about these things. But the reality is is that God makes all things new. He actually makes it all make sense. And I think that's the, and I loved what uh, Kurt Scully, and that's one of my favorite men to go and listen to Kurt Scaly, and he has a podcast called Everyday Truth with uh, Kurt Scully. And, and he talks about, and he, he did a section on this Revelation 21 verse 4, and he says all of this world can be summarized by one word tears and you just wow. think about that you know if we, all of our existence you think about when we were born we start to have tears and when we die we start to have tears you know, like there's tears all in between our birth and our death experience here on earth but that will be wiped away and we will actually see the grand purpose for which we were created which has always been for the glory of god so we will this verse just conveys to us just the idea that all causes of grief and suffering in this current world will be eliminated. That doesn't mean that we don't have feeling. I believe that we will have the true experience of right feeling, which is what you call um, ortho, um, Sorry, let me remember. Orthopathy. That's it. You have your orthodoxy, which is your doctrine, and then you have orthopraxy, which is your practice, and then you have orthopathy, which is your feelings, and all of that will be aligned perfectly to who Jesus is and who the Father is and all that is made new and so even the emotions while while being in heaven the bible doesn't provide exhaustive detail about the emotional state that we'll have in heaven but it does affirm that there will be joy there will be worship in the presence of the lord that's revelation 21 verse 3 and it doesn't also imply the removal of genuine emotions but rather than the transformation of sorrow into everlasting joy We will be in the presence of Jesus. He will be all and and more than enough for us. None of this idolatry that we face on earth will be part of our existence in heaven. And then also the nature of the relationships. And this is something that, um, I mean, we've spoken about this as my wife and I, you know, we've now, it was my wife's birthday yesterday, and I've been with her for 17 of her birthdays. And it's been a joy to just be present with, with her for that. And to think about what will the state be like in heaven we will know each other, but we won't be husband and wife any longer. We know that from what the scriptures teaches us and and I think there's a level of mystery that is that is there regarding what are we going to experience in heaven. But if we think about the nature of relationships in heaven again, this is not explicitly detailed in this in the scriptures. However, the Bible does affirm that the 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 community of personal identities we also see the fact that there will be people from every tribe every nation, every tongue, every family of the earth that are gathered before him. And that gives you an idea that, that even in that grand congregation one day, it may be that you stand in your family unit that is saved by God's grace with those that let's say your father was saved or let's say your son was saved and you're able to stand together amongst that grand throng and you will sing a new song to him. Uh, who is worthy of our praise. And so these are these are just some grand thoughts, but there is a level of mystery in regard to this. But I think the joy that we can see and the trust that we have in God's word is that we will always be with the Lord and in his presence there is fullness of joy and every tear will be wiped away. I've often thought about that passage with every tear. Why would you actually cry a tear when you're in heaven that needs to be wiped away? And I think that there is a one or two indications that we have i do think that a lot of us will be standing there and will have some regret when we suddenly see um, everything for what it really is and we've seen god for who he is and we realize but hey man i wasted some of my time on earth yeah. you know, were, i should have yeah. i should have lived the more for his glory yeah. and that gets wiped away as well
0: rocky i uh, i asked uh, somebody that i've spent a lot of time with in my life the other day and this person actually took offense i said to him Are you sure you know the Lord Jesus Christ It was around a briar? And he said to me, yes, of course. What sort of a question is that? I said, well, if we are friends, imagine you get to heaven and I end up in hell and you never, ever warned me, never, ever warned me. And we have a responsibility towards our sons, our daughters, our, our spouses, our husbands, our wives, to make sure. We love to say, I am a Christian, but can I come ask your wife? Can I come ask your children? Can I come ask your son, your daughter, your, your, your husband? Are you a Christian? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as Lord, King, and Savior? Oh, wait, two six five seven two seven two nine. Scriptural. The program is overflowing with questions. Bless your heart, Wayne von Lochnenberg. You up next. Bless your heart, brother. Listen, <laughs> you have kept us busy. You have sent me literally a whole two pages. Hard to read through right now, but bless your heart, you've posted your question right. At the top, and it basically says, How do we become good soil? Uh, In Matthew 13, Jesus shares the well known parable of the sower Rocky, how do we become good soil? There's what's it, four types of soil Mm. that the Bible speaks about. Uh, Is there something that I can do? to 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 become good soil unto the Lord Jesus Christ what, yeah. what, what advice do we give them? So brother?
1: let me read there Matthew 13:3 to 9 says and he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold the sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up another fell on the rocky places excuse the pun you know, the, the <laughs> rocky places where where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprung up because they had no depth of soil. But and now you can see uh, an element of the responsibility It says because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root. So there's a there's no root that was in them. This day they withered up. And others fell among among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell in the good soil, and were yielding a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And again, verse 9 would show that we do have a responsibility to actually hear this, and to actually implement this, and to actually put this into practice. So I would say that that the key to becoming good soil, as mentioned in this parable, involves cultivating a heart that is receptive and responsive to the word of God. And let's explore some of that as we think about this. You need to be somebody that cultivates it. It's farming type of terminology. And just in God's providence, we spoke about farmers hit by the hit by the hail earlier on. There's going to be a lot of work that those farmers have to put in to get a crop next year and to work on their cattle, etc. But these are farming terminologies about looking after the soil. And I know even from my little veggie patch in the backyard um, that I have at home, I've learned something recently about the fact that you're supposed to still water the soil in winter. I don't know if you know that, Feynant. You need to still for three days, probably a week, you need to still water the soil. I didn't do that over winter, and so much of the soil that I put in last year has actually now been damaged because I didn't look after it properly. And that's part of this cultivation element that we have. So Matthew 13, verse 23, which is in the context of this passage, says the following. And the one to on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So there we see an indication of what it means being good soil. It's a man who hears the word and understands it. So the first step of actually being good soil is hearing and understanding how much effort are you putting into hearing God's word and understanding God's word actually putting your thoughts into God's word and taking your thoughts even captive mm. regarding God's word.
0: Paul speaks about it, doesn't he? In 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 uh, is it Hebrews that says if you s- stay on milk continuously, yep. uh, the, you need to move on to solid food. That means not just hearing about baptism. And, yeah, he is actually
1: and, rebuking the church at first at Corinth he where he says, says that and he says I, you guys should have already been teachers by now, but you, now I'm still having to give you milk. Yeah, why are you not you need on to move solid on. food? Solid you know, food, so important. So hearing and understanding that's what we see there in verse 23 god actually expects us otherwise jesus would have never shared this parable part of the point of this parable is saying that you have a responsibility regarding being good soil you need to be able to hear and understand these teachings but then i would say a second point to this would be having an openness as well as a receptive a receptive heart towards god's word because that's what the good soil does is it accepts god's word and then, and then implements God's word. So there, um, even when we think about Matthew thirteen verse twenty-three, where Jesus explains the good soil um, to them, and we see the receptive, the receptive nature, a heart of this good soil welcomes the truth of God's word, and this involves then humility as well as willingness to learn and a readiness to receive God's guidance. But then also guarding against distractions, because if we see in verse 22 of of Matthew 13, uh, we, we actually just before what I read earlier, it says, And the one whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. So if you're wanting to be good soil, then you need to be somebody that actually avoids the distractions that there are within the world. And those those weeds are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that come and choke and can choke the word. So what efforts are you putting into place where you don't worship the things of this world, but you worship the God who gave you the things to enjoy in this world, recognizing that you belong to him in body and soul and everything that you have belongs to him. So I think this is a good question to even come with our first question earlier or our earlier on question regarding some of the farming. Becoming good soil involves guarding against the distractions that hinder spiritual growth. So think for a moment, are there things that are weighing you down as a Christian and that are weighing you down as an individual that are possible things that are choking the word of God in your life? That may require then internal efforts of prioritizing God's word amidst much of, the, of, of life's challenges. But this also impacts obedience because the good soil not only receives the seed, but also allows that seed to bear fruit. And we know from the rest of scripture that bearing fruit is linked to the obedience to God's word. When you're obeying God's word, you bear fruit. So applying the teachings of the Bible into one's life, then also obediently living out God's word is an absolutely crucial aspect to being good soil. We see this in James 1 verse 22. We, we need to follow this. Our faith in God must lead to actions. And that involves this commitment to aligning our actions with God. But then I would say just as a last two thoughts because we are running out of our time is is cultivate a teachable spirit. That's how you remain good soil. It's like what I need to do now with my backyard soil. I need to water it three times a week so that the soil stays good, the microbiome of the soil stays good. You need to cultivate a teachable spirit. Part of that means submitting yourself to teachers. Part of that means being part of a local body of believers. It, it doesn't mean that, I mean, no man in the pulpit is going to be a perfect man, but he needs to be a man that's able to say, thus says the Lord and lead you to the scriptures. And you need to be somebody that's plugging into that, that cultivates that teachable spirit, being somebody that's slow to speak Slow to be um, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry as the book of James puts it. And then also you need to be somebody that nurtures your relationship with God. Are you spending time in God's word and are you spending time in prayer asking God to reveal himself to you? Those are crucial elements when it comes to being good soil.
0: Rocky, bless your heart, can you believe it one hour, gone into all eternity, never to be repeated again, bless your heart, thank you so much for each and every one Dini, baie dankie, ook vir jou reaksie daar Welna so, van Dijk wat geluister het, Wijn van Lachroenburg um, daar is heel wat mense wat uh, nog vragen gestuurd het Rudolf, we didn't even get to the temple question, uh, we'll see if we can get to that next week, bless your heart baie dankie, Thijs Swanepoel jy het gereageer, daarso. Matthias 6 vers fear, fear, and so many others. Uh, just a jam-packed program. Apologies that we couldn't get you everything, but we honour the Lord for this time together. Listen, my brother, my sister, there is something now a responsibility that rests. On your shoulders, to go and search the scriptures To see if these things are so Onthou, die program is beskikbaar Op uh, YouTube channel Op uh, Facebook is die program beskikbaar Ek gaan nou die uh, die broadcast eindig daar Die uitsending gaan ek om eindig En jy kan weer na om gaan kyk Weer na die frase te kyk En op uh, latere stadium Dier die loop van die dag Behoort hy ook uh, op ons webblad uh, Beskikbaar te wees as a podcast So heel wat plekke waar jy na om kan gaan kyk, Rocky, somebody wants to write you an email, how do they get hold of you?
1: Hey, welcome to send me an email at pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za
0: Pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za Misschien het jy een vraag wat jy meer sikkelt, jy is welkom om in Afrikaans te skrywe. Hy is goed Afrikaans vaardig en lief vir die heren, lief vir alle tale, alle volke, alle nazi's. Thank but... you, Rocky Stevenson for Scriptural Let's Talk Mondays to Fridays, memorable Mondays, uh, Theology Tuesdays Wisdom Wednesdays, Technical Thursdays and Fabulous Fridays Don't forget you can catch him there at quarter past 8 in the mornings as well All that's left to say now is look after yourself till next time Keep well, God bless you and shalom Playing out with risen evermore Beauty for ashes, oil of glad